Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. And then he says also, I know your tribulation. This word is a Greek word, thalipsis, and it literally means pressure. It means affliction, uh, philipsis. And so it's, it's a pressure, it's an affliction, it's burden, it's, it's, it's trouble is really what it is. Have you ever felt like you were just pressured? We all have. As adults, there's, there's points in our life where we just felt like we were between a rock and a hard spot and sometimes going through heavy tribulation. Uh, even though it might not be Christian tribulation, everyone goes through tribulation. Welcome, everyone. We are so blessed that you joined us today on Truth in Christ Radio. Today we learned that in Smyrna, Jesus knew their works, tribulation, and poverty. He knows these hardships, both in a sense that he saw what happened to them, and in the sense that he knew their hardships by his personal experience. In fact, Jesus tells us in John chapter 16, verse 33, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. For everyone, the safest place to be is in Jesus. Now let's join Pastor Rob. 14, it says, Paul writing to the Hebrews, the Jews, he said, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. And so let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So Jesus was very much aware, and because he is the first and the last, that he was, this church was in very good hands. Jesus was very sympathetic. He understood what they were going through. Because he, he went through it all. In Jesus' short life, he experienced what no man has ever experienced. He, he experienced the things that no one has experienced. So when anybody comes to him, perhaps yourself today, as you're, maybe you're worried, maybe you're heartbroken, maybe you're struggling with fear, maybe you've got an addiction of some kind, you can come to the Lord and you don't have to be ashamed to come to him and ask Him for help. You don't have, you don't have to be, feel ashamed of even confessing to Him. You can come to Him, and you can give Him, you can tell Him everything. And, and that's just who God is. See, if your God is this God that's so far off that he, 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 he could care less about you, if that's your impression of who God is, your impression is wrong. 
because God is Emmanuel, right? What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. So if he's God with us, why would he allow us to flounder? Why would he, why would he permit us to flounder? And especially when we come to him like a father receives his child. Isn't our heavenly father, isn't he like that? He is. The Bible's replete with examples of that, of his compassion, of his kindness. And so notice that Jesus says of himself that he was dead and he came back to life. This could also be an encouragement to them because they were facing persecution even unto the death, again, by the Jews and the Romans of that city and of that time. And because Jesus came to life, they didn't need to fear knowing that they would live again, that their physical death wasn't the end. In Romans chapter 8, verse 11, it says, But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and in fact, the, another portion of the Scripture says that unless the Spirit of God is in you, you are not a Christian. You are, you are not of Christ. You are not, you're none of His if the Spirit of God does not indwell in you. But he says, But the, if, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead also will give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. See, that's what being born again is all about. That's why Jesus said, you must be born again. Because I, there were times when I was younger uh, that I, I, I believed in God, but I didn't have the Spirit of God in me. I have, hadn't yet given over my heart to him. And I certainly didn't have the Spirit of God in me. Um, but that didn't happen until I was 24. And I remember that day very well. But notice what it says in Psalm 116, verse 15. Let me just read it to you. This verse sounds kind of strange, but the Lord says through the the psalmist, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And, And certainly the Lord doesn't look upon people who die, especially his own people, and is excited. The only reason it's precious to him is because he knows that their journey is over. All of their toil, all of their pain and discouragement that they've experienced in this life has come to an end. We just uh, had a gravesite service for a dear sister that we, we've known for years, Charlotte Jackson, and she, was, she just turned 97, I believe, just a few days ago. But she, uh, she passed away and is with the Lord now just a few days before her 97th birthday. But she has had a, a long life, and now she's with the Lord, and we're so very thankful for that. Um, let's see. Notice in verse 9, back in our text this morning, Jesus says to this church, I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. Notice this work, uh, this word works literally means toil and labor. Have you toiled and labor as a Christian? Uh, because really that's the only work that God is going to uh, remember and that he's going to uh, bless you as a result is what we have done while we have been a Christian. See, all my works that I do apart from Christ are going to be burned up, the Bible says. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I believe, verse 10, it talks about the, the Bema Seat judgment of believers, not a judgment of salvation or lack thereof, but a really a, a, a place where we're, we earn rewards for what we have done since we've been a Christian, and everything else is going to be burned away. So there's nothing of my old life, there's nothing of my old deeds that I've done, even though they may have been good, not, none of that is going to survive. There's going to be nothing but only those things that... Uh, that God has empowered us through the Spirit of God since we've been a Christian. So in, in 1 Corinthians 15, notice it says, Paul encouraging the Corinthians, he says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, brethren, be steadfast and immovable, 
always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And to me, that's encouraging. Because as Jesus was encouraging this church, and he said, I know your works. I know the things that you've been doing. I know how you've toiled. I know how you've suffered. And it is not in vain. It is never in vain to serve the Lord. In fact, it's the greatest joy of, of our lives. It's the greatest joy of my life to serve the Lord. I can't imagine doing anything else. I wouldn't want to do anything else at this point. Uh, he's got my life. He's got my heart. And Lord, you can do with it whatever you wish. Does that frighten you? Uh, hopefully, most of us who are listening, hopefully we're all in a place where we're, we feel the same way. Uh, because as a Christian, you ought to. You ought to. Because if he, we've been bought with a price, He owns us in a sense. And, and He's not going to do anything that's, that you're not going to desire. It, the wonderful thing is the Bible says that He causes us first to will and then to do of His good pleasure. So whatever He's got going in your life, whatever He's going to do in your life, whatever He's doing in your life, there's going to come a point where you're going to be like really excited about what He's doing, and, and it won't be like a tug of war. You're not going to be like, oh, i got to go do this again. You know, It's not like that at all. He changes your heart. And I can tell you that that's happened to me. I never wanted to be where I'm at today. It would have scared me to death. I probably would have run the opposite direction. If you told me that I'd be doing what I'm doing today, I, it was not even in my thoughts. <laughs> Never was in my thoughts. But the Lord changed my heart, and He's changing your heart too. And then He says also, I know your tribulation. This word is a Greek word, thalipsis, and it literally means pressure. It means affliction, uh, thalipsis. And so it's, it's a pressure, it's an affliction, it's burden, it's, it's, it's trouble is really what it is. Have you ever felt like you were just pressured? We all have. As adults, there's, there's points in our life where we just felt like we were between a rock and a hard spot and sometimes going through heavy tribulation. Uh, even though it might not be Christian tribulation, everyone goes through tribulation. In fact, in, uh, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Paul the Apostle, and certainly John the Apostle, who penned this letter, this book of Revelation. Uh, Paul and John, both, they were not strangers to affliction. In Hebrews 11, beginning in verse 32, it says, And what what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, and Barak, and Samson, and Jephthah, also of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, they worked righteousness, they obtained promises, they stopped the mouths of lions, they quenched the fire of violence, they escaped the edge of the sword, and out of weakness were made strong. They became valiant in battle, and turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trials of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonments. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. I love that. You know, when you, you know, in the world, might makes right. And in the world, might is, is the name of the game. You've got to be stronger than your opponent. And I love the fact that out of all these things, you know, it, it almost seems like a paradox. Because if we're one of God's children, you would think that 
you know, he would just pave the way and allow everything to just be gravy train for us for the rest of our life. And, you know, there is a, a peace that we have that the world doesn't have. But we also go through troubles and trials and tribulations. And a lot of times it depends on what time in, in history and in what country we're living in and what government we're being governed over by. Those things determine a lot of times how great our persecution is. Right now, we're not going through hardly any persecution. I mean, people give us the, the evil eye when we talk about um, you know, being against abortion and against uh, sexual sin like fornication or homosexuality. Nobody likes to hear those things, but that's the truth. The Bible calls them a sin. But yet our culture has embraced them, and now they are the pet of the, our culture, and they're the pet of the media. And, 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 they, and they, they say, don't dare touch any one of our pets. And that's the way our media is. And they're wrong. They're dead wrong. And they need to turn and, and repent, right? They need to turn from their sin because God will hold them accountable. And they better take it seriously. And so should we. But notice, but I love that it says, the world was not worthy of these people who the world would look at and say they mean nothing. They're just the offscouring of the world. They were stoned. They were sawn unto, tempted, wandering in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. And can I tell you, having just been back from Israel, we went to so many, we went all over the land, and we saw these dens and these caves that the, the believers were hiding out in at different times for persecution. And even throughout the Bible, we can see those places where they hid. It's an amazing thing. I would encourage you to come with us next year, if the Lord so will, uh, come with us to uh, Israel. You will love it. Begin thinking and praying about it right now. But notice in verse 39 of Hebrews 11, And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise, God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. So even though they went through a lot, many of them didn't even receive the promise that God had given to them before their physical death. But they believed in God. And what did it say in Genesis 15 and in Hebrews? That because of Abraham's faith, he knew of, this, of, this, of the, the land that God would give him. And he never fully inherited it himself, but his seed. You know, because Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Israel, they, they, they and their descendants, they inherited that land. But God counted Abraham's belief in God as righteousness. It was, it was faith that God had given him. So persecution, as we see here in verse 9, is in tribulation. These things are part of the Christian's life. Don't find it crazy or unusual if you do come across these kinds of things. So then he goes on and he says, I know your works. Tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. This poverty means they were literally very poor. That they weren't just poor, they were beggarly poor. And the saints in Smyrna, um, they had a, uh, the Lord loved them so much. And it had nothing to do with how much money they had. It had nothing to do with their pedigree. It had nothing to do with where they went to college. The Lord would rather be with a group of believers who are destitute in every sense of the word than to be in a fellowship or church of thousands of people whose hearts were, are far from Him. And, and don't even know Him. He would rather be with a handful that really do love Him and know Him and the ones that are, that are being persecuted and are very poor. He'd rather be with them 
than to be with people who claim to know who he is, but they really don't care and they really don't want to know him. They just live their own lives. Uh, Charles Stanley said this one time. He said, There was a peculiar honor in being near and like Jesus, who had nowhere to lay his head. And he says, I have learned this. Jesus is specially the partner of his poor servants. And I love that. I love that quote. He is near to those who are really struggling. And Jesus himself was no stranger to poverty either. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, it says, Paul says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that through his poverty might become rich. It's kind of a, an interesting thing. We inherit the riches of heaven because of our faith in him. He became poor that we might become rich. And see, that's why Jesus deserves our worship. He deserves our very life. When you think about what He, um, the, the God of glory, God in human flesh came down to this earth. Do you, do you understand the great, the great jump that that was? To be the creator of all things and then to come down to an earth, to a creation that you built and then to have that creation, the capstone of your creation, man, to have man turn against you so much so that even his own people, the Jews and the Gentiles, all of us are complicit in Christ's death on the cross. Jews and Gentiles, as they nailed him to the cross, as they screamed out, we will not have this man be ruler over us, crucify him, crucify him. We were all complicit. And so Jesus understood this. But he says, notice, but you are rich. The word is plosios, and this literally means uh, abounding with wealth, abounding with wealth, or it could be virtue, or you know, um, eternal possessions, non-physical possessions. It could mean that, and it sounds very similar to our word pleasure in English, in our English um, language. In Psalm sixteen, verse eleven, remember David in this prophetic psalm. He says, "You will show me the path of life, and in your presence." is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And so we look forward to a time with the Lord, and everybody wants to be with the Lord, but they don't understand that there's only one way to God the Father. There's only one way to inherit heaven, and that is to, uh, to receive Christ, to be born again. And that's what Jesus said. And there's no other way, but it's open to every single human being, open to everyone, you know, so many people today are hung up on the here and now. And, and, and what happens? You live maybe 70 years, maybe 90 years. Some people who are very fortunate, they live to be 100 or more. Uh, very seldomly does that happen. But, you know, but after your short life here, think of that. After it ends, there is eternity. You know, and it's so easy to be short-sighted while we're here on this earth. We can be so short-sighted and we fritter away our lives with... The, and, and then we, we fail to realize that our time is so short, it's so limited, and the reward is so little on this earth. And what did Jesus say in Matthew 6 on the Mount of Beatitudes? In verse 19, he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break through Break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there will your, will your heart be also. And uh, so many people today amassing riches, and, and it's just, it, it's not going to be for anything. It's going to go to somebody else when they pass on. 
But it's better to be rich toward God. It's better to be rich toward His kingdom. And where is your treasure? Really, where is your treasure? You know, is, it, is, is your treasure something you can, you can look at? Is it something that you can hold in your hand? Certainly we treasure our wives, our families, our kids, and there's nothing wrong with that. We can, we can treasure them. But ultimately, where is, where, 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 what is our real expectation? What are we hoping for? That, that's a, a really good question. So giving your heart to Christ and being with Him forevermore is the best decision. In James chapter 2, verse 5, James said to the, the Jews, to the church, he said, Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which He has promised to those who love Him? And He has. He's given eternal life to those who love Him. Let's go on in verse 9 there. He says, I know your works, your tribulation, your poverty, but you are rich. And I also know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. This word blasphemy is really interesting because it really means vilification. It means speaking evil of something and someone. And specifically, it usually means the Lord Himself. And, And that's where we mostly encounter the word blasphemy. But blasphemy is actually a word that could be used for anyone that you tend to slander or speak injurious about. You know, it's interesting when you think about, you know, many people uh, are tempted to think that because Jesus was born into the Jewish race that he would cut the Jews some slack, but he doesn't. Uh, The Lord is not partial. He's um, He's not partial to anyone. He's not a respecter of persons, as the King James says. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17, it says, The Lord your God is a God of gods and a Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. And boy, if the judges in this country and even members of Congress, if they were like this, the world would be a completely different place. But we know that this world is not our home. So we are not looking to make earth a utopia. We know that this earth has got a destiny, and uh, it's, it's, it's not pretty. Uh, and so, but there is no partiality with God, it says in Romans 2.11. And even in the New Testament, Jesus never uh, held the Jews uh, in such close esteem that he never rebuked them. In, in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, what did he call them? He said, you guys are a brood of vipers. They were very religious men, but they had failed to see all of the prophecies of the Old Testament, speaking of Christ, speaking of when he would come, how he would come, into what tribe he would come from. There were so many prophecies, and you've, you've known all this. If you've been with us for any length of time, we've gone through a number of these things. Prophecies that have been fulfilled very literally, very specifically, and yet they were so hard-hearted, and Jesus wasn't the kind of deliverer they were hoping for. They wanted someone to deliver them from Rome, but instead they got a meek and lowly Lamb of God who came and died for the sins of the world. They didn't want anything to do with that kind of leader, uh, even though that leader could have redeemed them from their sins, and ultimately they would spend eternity in glory. But many of those men are not in glory. They They are in hell. They are not in heaven. So, he says here in this last part of verse 9, he says, They say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. The, the Jews at this time, they, they had a, uh, Jesus called them a synagogue of Satan. And, and whether there was a synagogue there 
in Smyrna, there probably was, because wherever there's at least 10 or more Jews, uh, males, they, they would have a, they'd build a synagogue. But it could have been also the, the Jews uh, infiltrating or being amongst the church and persecuting uh, the church as a result of their belief in Jesus, because they did not believe in Jesus, even though they should have. They, and, you know, they, they, they crucified him along with the Gentiles. But he called them a synagogue of Satan because God had so much more for them than what they were experiencing, much more for them than what they were doing. They should have been, uh, they should have come into the church. They should have realized. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Revelation. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester Sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play and Apple Podcasts. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.